So I'm going to start this morning by talking about something that might be a little divisive, and this is whether you are an early morning person or not an early morning person, okay? And some of you guys are going to say, Josh, I knew I liked you, and others were like, I knew there was something wrong with you, okay? So for me, uh, I like getting up early. Um, five days a week, I am up by, fi- by 6 a.m., 5 a.m., not quite up by 5 a.m., I'm up by 6 a.m., five days a week, and I actually enjoy it. Michelle frequently says, why do you get up? And I'm like, because I actually enjoy that little bit of quiet time I have at the beginning of the day. I get up, I turn the coffee maker on, and I I just enjoy having that time to myself. Now, having said that, we have one of our children who is also an early riser, and I've also discovered that I can't get up earlier than than they can. And so now I share that time slot, but it is, there's something wonderfully special to me anyway. Some of you are like, God didn't even make that time. Anything before 7 a.m., 8 a.m., that is the... Uh, but for me, there's something wonderful about that. And then the last, last week, with the weather being as it is, um, there's been some, I, I found myself grabbing my cup of coffee and stepping out onto our deck into our backyard where we have this nice space where we have a patio, we have gardens, the, there's things to look at and you just enjoy that early morning uh, quiet time out there. And in many ways, as I was reflecting on this, on this routine this week, I, I'm realizing that this illustrates um, the fact that I live a relatively comfortable life. And many of us live relatively comfortable lives. And you know what? There's nothing really wrong with that. But we ought to keep in mind that our experiences uh, of comfort, how they can shape how we understand and how we engage life, because they do. And the reality is is that, that we live in a culture, a North American culture, that encourages us to make the pursuit of comfort a priority. It is the thing that we're supposed to aim for. But what happens when life suddenly isn't comfortable? What happens when that experience or that pursuit of comfort gets upset? You know, in those moments when a family member is struggling with their health, or maybe when our employment situation isn't paying the bills, or maybe when there's conflict in one of of our relationships. I mean, these things are are hard in and of themselves, but when comfort is our priority, when comfort is our obsession, struggles like these can make us feel like our whole world is spinning out of control. Now, the thing is, when we read Scripture, we never get the sense that our lives are going to be free from hard things. We, we wish that it said that, it would be, that our lives would be free from hard things, but it doesn't. In fact, Jesus very plainly tells his disciples, in this world you will have troubles. Period. Like, geez, thanks Jesus. Like, didn't you mean in this world you won't have troubles? No, he says in this, wor- in this world you will have trouble. But right before he says that, he tells his disciples that everything that he has shown them, everything that he has talked to them about, everything that they've experienced with him has been preparing them so that they can have peace. Peace despite the troubles that they will experience. Peace in those moments when life is not comfortable. And then he goes on and he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, the Jesus story is that despite the troubles that we all will experience, whether they be in our marriages or in our families or in our places of work or at school or wherever, that despite the fact that life can seem to be too big for us, that is not too big for Jesus. And because of this, when we face situations that are uncomfortable, hard, frustrating, painful, when it feels like, like people are out to get us, 
that we can know that we have not been left alone and that things are not too big for Jesus. And all of this sets up what we're going to talk about this morning from 1 Peter, because Peter is talking about how his readers can understand the hardships that they are experiencing and, and hardships that they are experiencing at the hands of other people because they have chosen to follow Jesus. And Peter's talking to them about how they, how, about how they can understand their circumstances that includes this reality of suffering. Now, as we reflect on this passage, we need to recognize that our experience with comfort, especially for those of us who are, who are uh, you know, have grown up in North America, that our experience of comfort and living in this society that promotes comfort, that can shape how we, how we interact with a passage like this. Because some of us might be like, that sounds uncomfortable, I, I, don't wanna, I don't like that. But that's part of this text here. And we need to keep in mind who Peter is writing to. Because for Peter's audience, the experience of discomfort, that experience of suffering because they are following Jesus is not a theoretical idea. It's not something that, that might happen. It's something that is happening. It's their real-life lived experience. And so Peter is talking to them about how they can understand all of their experience and what it means to follow Jesus. How can they experience that, including their experience of suffering because they've chosen to follow Jesus? Now, part of how we've been looking at 1 Peter is recognizing that like those first century Christians that Peter is writing to, we live in a society that doesn't share our story as followers of Jesus if we are followers of Jesus. We, the people around us, many of our friends, our family, and our neighbors, they don't share our story of faith. Now, that said, I want to caution us from jumping to the conclusion that because others around us might not understand our faith story, that it doesn't automatically mean that we are persecuted like those first century Christians were or like people around the world today are persecuted for their faith. You know, at the moment, that level of persecution is not a part of our story, at least not a part of most of our stories. But it is conceivable that in our efforts to follow Jesus that we are going to garner some negative reactions from some of the people in our lives. That that is true. And so the question for us this morning is, how are we going to make sense of those experiences? And so the big idea that we're exploring this morning is that the difficulties we may face because we follow Jesus, well, that's not the full story. The difficulties in and of themselves are not the full story. There's more to it, and we're going to explore that this morning. And so to guide us, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, and we're just going to read to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of, of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear, his, bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 
You know, I'll say this again. Many of us, if not most of us, live pretty comfortable lives. It's not true of all of us, but majority of us here this morning live pretty comfortable lives. And the reality, again, is that we are not encountering people who are actively trying to harm us because we might be following Jesus. That was true of the people of of Peter's day. It might be true of other folks around the world, but it's not our story. We might recognize, though, that being a Christian is not popular. We might recognize that it's looked down upon in certain circles. But the reality is, as a pastor here for almost five years, I have not heard anybody from this church community express that they are uh, fearful of their lives or they've lost their employment because they follow Jesus. And so because this is generally true, I think we have to start with a point that kind of comes at the middle of this passage this morning. And that is that followers of Jesus need to be mindful that any heat we get is not deserved. Peter begins this passage by telling his readers that they should not be surprised by the difficulty of their circumstances. Uh, In the passage that Christina looked at last week, uh, Peter talked about how the, the people who weren't Christians, the pagans as he calls them, they were surprised at the behavior of the Christians because they didn't do the same things that everybody else did. They were surprised. Well, here Peter kind of does a bit of a play on words here, and he says, don't be like them. Don't be surprised by the reactions that you might get from other people because you follow Jesus. Don't be surprised that it may include rejection and even persecution. You know, the thing is that as followers of Jesus, the way that we see life, the way we understand the world, the way we relate to others, all of that has been fundamentally shaped by our relationship to Jesus, And we've been shaped in ways that just it won't be the case for those folks who don't yet know Jesus. And so we are reminded here that we shouldn't be surprised if following Jesus gets us some negative responses from, from people from time to time because we just are looking at life from a different perspective. But then he goes on to clarify that if we suffer, it shouldn't be because we somehow deserve it. And he says, don't let it be because you're a murderer or a thief or some sort of criminal. Don't, that's not suffering. In fact, you're hoping that people would, would say, hey, we get that. You know, if we are suffering and we're a murderer or a thief or a criminal, that's not suffering for Jesus. That's just getting what we deserve. That's just our punishment. That's the consequence of our actions. We got that, Peter. That's great. Okay? Don't murder people. Good. Okay? There's your take it home. Josh says, don't murder people. That's bad. Okay? Don't be a thief. That's bad. Don't be a criminal. Okay, don't do these things. But then he goes on to clarify that, uh, He takes it even further and says that he talks about something that's not a criminal activity. And our text uses the the term meddler. And other translations describe this as prying into somebody's affairs or being a busybody. Don't be a meddler. I found, uh, Brian, you can put this up. I found found this visual from uh, Thesaurus Plus. Just like, what what are some other words for meddler? Busybody, intruder, kibitzer. I don't know what that is. Snoop, gossip, interloper. My favorite word here, budinsky. Don't be a budinsky. That would be a wonderful Bible translation, eh? Uh, snooper, interfere, intermeddler, okay? You get the idea. There's a, sometimes we, have an, we need other words to help us understand. Peter says, don't be a meddler. Don't be a budinsky. If you're suffered, don't let it be for that. You know, if we, in a sense, Peter's saying that if we receive pushback for being like this, that has nothing to do with Jesus. Peter says, if we're going to suffer, better make sure that it has to do with Jesus, not because we're being a pain in the butt. 
Folks, as we reflect on our relationship with a culture that doesn't share our story or maybe our values as followers of Jesus, I think we have to keep what Peter says here in mind. You know, if we look at our interactions with other people, I think we, we would be able to, to know that there are times when it's in, a, in our marriage relationship, mar- relationship with our kids or somebody at work, there's times when we have these moments where technically we are right, but the way that we go about being right is just really wrong, right? We understand, we, we, you know that feeling. You're like, I won that argument, but somehow I lost at the same time. You know, sometimes in our passion for doing what is right as followers of Jesus, we actually do what Peter says is wrong here. The way that we interact with people comes across as entitled, it comes across as pushy, it comes across as bullying. We push ourselves into other people's business. We, we assume that they want us to tell them what they should do and what they shouldn't do, that we should insert our ideas of morality and, and justice into, you know, forcibly. It's not, not in a welcome way. We should, that our opinion should be heard. And we act as though we are the authority of what is right and wrong and, that, and the, what people hear from us is that we are looking down on them with judgment if they don't live up to our standards. You know, as we seek to understand how to relate to our friends and our family and our, our neighbors who don't yet know Jesus, we need to keep in mind what Peter has said earlier in this, in this letter where he talks about uh, responding with gentleness and respect. You know, there's going to be times when our faith rubs people the wrong way and they're going to put push back on us. But that pushback should come because we are, we are following Jesus with gentleness and respect and they are, they are coming up against Jesus, not coming up against us and our arrogance and not because we're being a jerk. The point here maybe should be Christians don't be a jerk. I wonder, honestly, if sometimes the heat that we, some of us catch is nothing to do with Jesus, but it's just because we're not being very nice. And for most of us here this morning, this is maybe the point that we need to sit with because this is the place that we live, in our comfortable lives, in a place that's relatively safe, interacting with our family and friends. Are we being nice? Are we handling things with gentleness and respect? Or are we being a badinsky? (laughs) Love that word. (laughs) You know, for others of us, the reality is that following Jesus has caused us some hardship. You know, there's people in our lives who, who look down on us because we follow Jesus. We've lost out on friendships. We've lost out on opportunities. We've had people uh, talk badly about us behind our backs because we have chosen the Jesus way. And again, Peter doesn't seem to shy away from this being a real possibility for Jesus' followers. And so we shouldn't be surprised if that ends up being our experience to certain degrees. But Peter wants to reframe how we think about these experiences. And so our second point this morning is that followers of Jesus can celebrate that hardships can result in good things. This week I, I went and did a visit at one of our local hospitals. And as I, as I walked in the front door of this hospital, I remembered one of the first times I, w- I did a hospital visit as, as a young pastor. And man, like I was a nervous wreck. I hated it. I didn't want to go in there. Right? I didn't, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I remember not knowing what to do with my hands, okay? Like, I remember thinking, like, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And here there was this man who was a wonderful man from our church who was dealing with a really serious diagnosis, and he offered more care to me. I believe at one point he was like, Josh, you're doing a great job. I'm like, buddy, you just got diagnosed with cancer. Like, he's like, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. And uh, it was really, it was something that I didn't enjoy doing. For the long time, it was just an uncomfortable experience that I, I, I dreaded. But as I was walking into the hospital this week, I remember thinking, like, when did this become something that I was comfortable with? 
You know, looking back, those, all those uncomfortable experiences have been, a, have been a part of how God has shaped who I am. Not just professionally, but also personally. And today, I, like I said, I feel more comfortable in these settings. You know, as much as we don't like hard, uncomfortable experiences, we would be wise to realize that the things that we go through, the hard things that we go through, often have the most profound impact on who we are. We grow through adversity. And this is what Peter has in mind when, he, when it comes to the adversity that these followers of Jesus are experiencing because of their faith. Now, this does not mean that the experiences of Peter's readers were, were not hard. And they were not painful. This is not what he's talking about. And in fact, Peter calls it a fiery ordeal on purpose because he's acknowledging the severity of what some of these folks were experiencing. This was not pleasant. This was not just an inconvenience. This was hard. But at the same time, this term fiery ordeal is a part of how Peter explains that something good can come about as a result. The term fiery is, is, a, is a term that is used to, to describe the refining process where, where somebody might take a piece of, of raw gold or silver, uh, silver and refine it in fire to burn out the impurities. And in using this term, Peter is pointing, out to, pointing to how God can use some of these truly hard experiences to refine a person's faith and a person's character. Yeah, it's hard. Yes, we would not have chosen to go that route if we'd had an option. But it's not a wasted experience. That God can take these experiences that feel so bad and he can use them and redeem them. God is the God who redeems circumstances, can redeem really difficult things and bring about something good that would have seemed impossible. And in this refining, we might come to realize that there are things about our faith that we held near and dear to us that didn't need to be there. We thought it was core. We thought that was a core issue, but in going through this difficulty, we realized what was actually important. And we would come out the other side with a clearer understanding of what really matters. Our faith has been refined through these processes. Peter also realizes that when we go through something hard, that we often feel like we're all alone. And Peter understands this, and he, want, and he intentionally draws a connection between the suffering and the hardship of these early followers of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus. And he draws this connection so that they will know, that they would understand that they are not alone, that they are not isolated, that, that there's a connection because they've gone through this hardship, that, that there's a connection to the God who likewise went through suffering and hardship. And in verse 14, Peter ties this all together by talking about how they have the Holy Spirit with them. That as a result of going through this, the Holy, they, they're encountering the Holy Spirit in new ways. The Holy Spirit being God with them in these circumstances. See, there's something about these experiences and experiences like this that are drawing them into a deeper experience with God. That will shape them, that will guide them, that will do wonderful things in and through them. There's something about this that will connect them to God in a special way. You know, every once in a while, we're going to encounter folks who are antagonistic towards us because we follow Jesus. I can think of a time where I was working one of my jobs before I got into church work, and I was in the lunchroom, and this person who previously had been friendly with realized that I was a Christian, realized that I wasn't just a Christian, but I was studying to be a pastor, uh, which is a bit of a trigger for some people, and I understand that. And suddenly the demeanor of the, that conversation changed. 
And they started to act almost aggressively to me, asking me questions that were designed to make me look bad and to put me on, put me on the defensive. Didn't like that experience. We're not quite at that one yet. I'm glad it worked, though. <laughs> you know, in reflecting on that experience in that lunchroom and other ones that have been similar to it, uh, I've noticed a couple things. I can see a couple things that were positive that come out that came out as a result that wouldn't have been there otherwise. You know, in these conversations with this individual and other individuals like them, there were things that that I I would find myself saying that just felt really good. Not because I really like, hey, I, I gave it to them and I, and I outwitted them, but more because what came out of my, my mouth had a wisdom and a substance and a grace to it that seemed to land with those who were actually listening. And looking back, that, that wasn't me. In fact, if you know me in a, in a debate-type setting, I, I don't do well in those kind of You put me on the spot, I don't do well in those. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit showing up. In fact, Jesus reminds us, he tells his disciples, hey, if you get dragged out in front of people accusing you of things, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say in those moments. Second thing, in hearing the complaints of of that other person and hearing their accusations, God helped me to see some of the silliness that easily becomes a part of our faith when we only interact with other Christians. You know, when we hang out with other Christians, there are things that kind of, we start to add on to our faith. This is important and that's important. And some of those things are really good. But when somebody who looks at you with a, and points a finger and says, but why, you suddenly start to realize what is actually core. And that was a good experience to help me reflect on what is actually important to me and my faith. And lastly, although their tone was accusatory, I have to admit there was a lot of legitimate questions in what they had to say. Things that, as somebody who grew up in the church, I'd never really had to wrestle with before. And so there there was an opportunity to grow. And so all of this to say is that if we are willing to to look for them, that we will notice how God uses moments like this, maybe not in that exact moment in time when we're like somebody's coming at us, but if we take the time to reflect on how God has used those these experiences, we might see how God has grown us as followers of Jesus. It's an opportunity for God to work. Brian, now you can use that. Put that one up. I'm glad it worked, though, because earlier this week we weren't sure if that picture was going to work, but it, it works. You know, you can't, oh, people online can't see. Oh, people at home, sorry about this. That's what we figured out. There's a picture up on the slide right now that we all chuckled at because it's a little toddler saying, you're not the boss of me, and she's got a really good look on her face, so you just have to envision it. It goes like this. Yeah. Gee, why doesn't why doesn't our online viewership go up? <laughs> I'm getting the kids ready for school one day this week, and uh, I, I gave an instruction to the boys about getting into the vehicle, and I said it in such a way that one of the boys responded and said, "You're not the boss of me." And I very quickly I chuckled and was like, "Well, technically I am." I don't think that was a very great parenting move, actually, so I'm not endorsing that. But then the other one, like this, was like, "Well, God's actually the boss." I was like, wow, that was amazing. And we all had a good laugh and it kind of diffused a situation that probably could have escalated because I wasn't very wise in that moment. You know, there's something about being human that means that we often bristle at the thought of accountability, don't we? 
You know, like my son, we don't like being told what to do and being, being held accountable for our actions. And likely we've all said something like this. I said something like this to my parents where I said, you're not the boss of me. And they probably looked at me and chuckled and said, well, and we've all had those moments. But our attitude towards accountability can really change when we become the victims of somebody else doing what we perceive as wrong. You know, when my kids feel like somebody's done something wrong to them, they come up to me as the boss, and they want me as the boss to do something about it. You know, in that sort of situation, we might find ourselves wanting all the accountability, right? Because we have been wronged in the process. You know, Peter brings this theme of accountability into this conversation about suffering, um, and he, he does it in a way to, in such a way to, to do two things. One is he is assuring that these, these folks who are, are dealing with suffering because other people are, are persecuting because, the, uh, because of their faith, he's, he's assuring them that they're going to be held accountable by God, that the people who are doing wrong are going to hold, God's going to hold them accountable. But he also talks about how God's accountability also applies to them. In fact, if you read this, it actually sounds like there's more accountability for God's people than it does for the others. Interesting thought. And so our third point this morning is that followers of Jesus need to be mindful of God's accountability. Again, throughout this letter, Peter is pointing his readers beyond the specifics, beyond the immediate circumstances that they find themselves on, and he's pointing them to a future when Jesus will return. And this is an essential piece of Jesus' teachings, that, that as he teaches us that, that this life is not all that there is, that there is more to it, and that one day Jesus will return and he will complete what he started. And in our passage today, Peter again is pointing to this coming day, pointing to this, this time that is yet to come, and he's painting a picture of hope for his readers that their experience of suffering in the here and now won't last, and that one day Jesus will come and will hold those accountable who have mistreated them. And if you are a victim of injustice, if you are somebody who has been picked on, then this seems like welcome news. Peter's saying, God has not forgotten you. And he's going to hold those accountable who have harmed you. That God's love and God's justice will, will do what is right and he will act on your behalf. Now again, we are good, good when the bad guys or the people that we say are bad guys get what's coming to them. But Peter in this text here points out how, to the fact that God actually holds everybody accountable. And this includes those who would call themselves followers of Jesus. And in saying this, Peter's intention is to ensure that those of us who are followers of Jesus keep in mind that, that just because we've said that we are followers of Jesus, that we don't just kind of like, you know, take our foot off the gas and like lean back, but rather he's inviting us to lean in and to discover how can we best follow Jesus each and every day. And this moves us to our final thought today. And I want to point out that normally I, I do a three-point sermon, and here's number four, just in case you're keeping track at home. The final point this morning is that followers of Jesus are, are to respond to adversity by doing good. That how do we lean in? You know, how do we not just kind of like be like, hey, God's got them. I don't need to do anything about this. What are we supposed to do? Well, we are supposed to lean forward and to respond to this adversity by doing good. You know, the reality is that when things get hard, it's really tempted to throw in the towel. It's tempted to give up or to at least determine that, you know what, I'm going to do things differently and just hope that I don't get the type of heat that I was getting before. But Peter says, hey, don't change anything. In fact, keep doing what you've always done. Commit yourself to God, he says. 
And in committing himself to God, he is saying commit yourself to God, he is encouraging them to, to trust that God will take care of you, that go, trust that God will, will, will carry us through the hard times that we find ourselves going through. But it's important for us to recognize that this trust, that this committing ourselves to God is not just something that we, you and I do in private. In our, it's not just us spending more time in our devotions. This is actually something that is active. It is something that we live out in our relationship with our friends, our families, our coworkers, our classmates. It, it is a commitment to doing what is good. Peter connects committing yourself to God to commit to doing what is good here. And in saying this, again, I want us to, to keep in mind what Peter has said about not being a meddler and what Peter has said already about doing so with gentleness and respect. You know, doing good is, is something that is positive. It, it brings about goodness. It brings about fresh love and fresh kindness and, and wisdom into the communities that we live in. And it, to the exiles in the, in the Old Testament, one of the prophets says, you, you do what is good. Invest in the well-being of the cities in which you live. You live where you live. Do what is good for the people that you live with. And it isn't about saying, hey, look how good I am. But it is about living each day and living in our relationships with a, with a posture of love. And so this week, we can commit ourselves to doing what is good when we practice patience with our families. When we act with kindness towards that person at work who, who annoys everybody. Some of you are like, Was that, is that me? Is that me? No. You know, we can, we can do what is good. We can live with love when we don't let, uh, let what others have cause us to be resent, resentful of them and, 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 and develop a barrier. You know, sometimes our, our covetousness, our, our jealousy can interfere with a relationship. Well, when we don't let that happen, we are living with love. We are doing what is good. You know, what, we are doing what is good. We are living with love when we don't brag about our accomplishments, but we look to celebrate the accomplishments of others. You know, we do this when we, when we talk, when, when we, the way that we talk about other people, it doesn't tear them down or isn't about speaking about, badly about them behind their backs. When we aren't looking to take down somebody's reputation or smear their reputation. You know, we are living with love and doing what is good when we don't make conversations about us, but when we focus on others. We are living with love. We are doing what is good when we do the hard work of forgiving somebody who has hurt us. We are doing what is good. We are living with love when we celebrate truth-telling, even when that's hard. Or when somebody tells us something and we choose to believe them. Or when we act to protect the rights of others. Or when we stick with others even when it's hard and even when everybody else seems to have turned their back on them. This is the way of love. This is the way of love. And as Jesus' followers, we are invited to, to, to discover and to allow this way of love to grow in us. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that we do on our own. The Holy Spirit, because we follow Jesus, is at work in us. And as we give ourselves, as we commit ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit grows the love of Jesus in us so that each of our relationships become more and more characterized by the life of Christ, which is expressed in love. And sometimes we hear things like this as we need to do more things. This is the stuff that we need to do to please God. No, this way of love, this committing ourselves to doing what is good, is actually allowing God to, to grow us into the person that he wants us to be, to us to be our true selves. Our true 
ourselves, and as we find this way, we will realize that we are coming to life, despite the slings and arrows that we might find coming our way, despite the fact that other people might look at us and say, that was weird, why'd they do that? That in pursuing this way of love, we actually find the way of life. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for this, this church community and that we have had this moment to build just to sing with our kids and to experience the simplicity of their love for you and their faithfulness. And, and Lord, we get to cheer them on to be growing as followers of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that privilege and we ask that you would just help us to commit to that and to not take it lightly. God, this morning we have acknowledged that following you is not always easy. And God, what would be easy would be to say, this is too hard, we can't do it. Lord, to, to, to give up being faithful because we aren't sure where you are in this. And so God, this morning I, I want to ask for your blessing, I want to ask for your presence on those of us who are feeling quite heavy this morning. That whether it be the circumstances of life, whether it be health or, or other burdens that we carry, Lord, that we would experience you coming up close to us in very real ways, and Lord, that you would grow our trust in you, that you are with us, that you have not forgotten us, Lord, that our circumstances are not too big for you. Lord, this, specifically, Lord, this morning we've reflected on the reality that there may be those around us this week who, who push back on us because they don't share our faith. They aren't sure what it is that they see in us and they aren't sure if they like it, Lord, and they might make life difficult and they might speak behind our backs, Lord. Again, God, in those moments, it's easy to feel like we want to give up. Lord, this morning we ask that you would inspire us to be people of faith, that we would see you at work in our circumstances. And Lord, that you would grow in us a very real uh, gentleness and respect, a, a, a goodness, a, a, this love that we've just talked about, Lord, would become a deep part of who we are. And so, God, that as we speak to people who don't yet know you, Lord, that there would be something whimsical, there would be something beautiful, there would be something that, are, that they see and they want to know more. Lord Jesus, would you create that in us? Would you allow it to grow and to flower, to bear fruit, Lord, that our friends and our family, our neighbors, would just, our coworkers, the people we go to school with, would just look at us and they would just see that there's something that they need to lean in and find more. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunities you've given us. Create us into people who, who, who know your love, experience your love, and just live your love each and every day. Amen.